Tonight's scripture reading will be Judges 6, 11, and 12. Judges 6, 11, and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth tree, which was in the Ophrah, which belonged to Josh and Abizarat, while his son Gideon, the rest, wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I know many of you are planning to be here tomorrow morning. The service for Ms. Paula starts at 10 a.m. And uh, if you can be here, uh, I would encourage you to be here. We're going to have congregational singing. It always sounds much better, of course, when we have uh, several voices who are here as we uh, assemble to, uh, to pay tribute to a life that was so well lived in our dear sister. And so, uh, again, that, that service will start tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. So if you can be here to, uh, to help the family, then please do. I also know that many of you ladies are preparing a food I uh, believe that the food, does everybody know when the food needs to be here? I assume so. Just want to make sure that was known. So if you have questions on that, then see Tricia or Sharon, others. Uh, I know they can help you make sure you get that here on time to help the family. So a few weeks ago, we looked at this context in Judges chapter 6, a sermon that I entitled, Threshing Wheat in the Wine Press. And we looked at Gideon and, and the uh, many lessons that we can learn there from, from Gideon and threshing wheat in the wine press. And from this context, I kind of mentioned in passing that I, it is my contention that the angel of the Lord, uh, read here in verses 11 and 12, uh, is in fact the second person of the Godhead. And I, tonight I want to look at that and examine that idea just a little bit more. I suppose if Mike were here, he might call this somewhat of a classy sermon. But I want to examine uh, the angel of God that we see throughout the Old Testament. You see, I believe that there is no study of Jesus Christ that is complete without examining the Old Testament and seeing Jesus even through the pages of the Old Testament. And so as I told the young people in Pew Packers, that's exactly tonight what I want to do. I want to start by looking at some familiar context, context where we're more familiar and we understand that there is something special about the individual that appears to some of these great characters even in the Old Testament. For example, if you open your Bible, I believe that you see Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus comes down and it is Jesus that we see the second person of the Godhead having conversation and talking to people in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis chapter 18, if you open your Bibles, you will find that I believe it is the second person of the Godhead who comes and has a conversation with Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice what the Bible says about this particular individual who comes to Abraham. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, Then the Lord, the Bible says, The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. And Abraham says, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Abraham recognizes of the three that are standing there, there is something special about one of them, and it is him that Abraham addresses. My Lord, please stay. My Lord, please let me go and have something prepared. Will you stay and eat? 
And the Lord stays. The Lord allows him to go and tell Sarah, his wife, to go and prepare food. And they sit down and they eat. And you drop down in chapter 18 to verse number 16. And the Bible says, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said... Alright, this is one of the three men. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Shall I hide this? Verse number 19... For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And it is to this man, to this one that Abraham is talking to, recall that it is Abraham who begins to plead. And he says, Lord, if it is possible, if you find 50 righteous, will you not destroy it? If you find 45 righteous, will you not destroy it? And it is to this one that Abraham pleads, please don't destroy it if you can find this many faithful. And it is this one to whom Abraham is pleading that ultimately says, if I can find 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy it. And you end chapter 18 in verse number 32 Then he, that is Abraham, then Abraham said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You see, there's something very special about this messenger. There's something special about this man. And it seems that Abraham understood that there was something very special about this individual But notice, it's not an angel that says, and and speaking on behalf of God, but all of the personal pronouns are there, making himself out to be God. That's what we find. Now I go to Joshua chapter 5, and I see, again, what I believe the Bible bears out to be the second person of the Godhead. In Joshua chapter 5, recall that they have crossed the Jordan River, and they have entered into the Promised Land, and now they find themselves encamped Uh, very close to the city of Jericho. And in verse number 13, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And he did so. Something special about this man. You see, an angel of God is not going to accept worship, but this commander of the Lord's army, he does not deny worship. In fact... He says, where you're standing is holy. There's something special about this individual who is standing there in front of Joshua, and it seems to me it has to be the second person of the Godhead. Well, then you can go over to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm not going to do any reading there. Very familiar context, as you know, where it is Nebuchadnezzar who throws Shadrach, Meshach into the fiery furnace, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, And then he looks up, and you can almost picture him wiping his eyes, and he says to those who are standing by, did we not throw three men into the furnace? 
Look, I see four in the furnace, and one of them appears to be the Son of Man. The Son of God, rather. And so we find the Son of God. Now, again, it, it is not as clear to me. I don't think you can make a very uh, conclusive, say that's absolute, because we have Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonian king, uh, looking into the fiery furnace, but he understands there is something different. There is something special about the fourth man who is, in, who is standing in the furnace. He understands that there, is, there has to be a being from God. All right, there has to be a being from God. Now, I believe, again, that we can understand from these contexts that there is something very special about this particular individual, even in Daniel chapter 3. I don't know what you're thinking about Jesus. Obviously, when we think about Jesus, we think about the one who came and put on flesh, John 1 and verse number 14. We think about the one who lived a sinless life, the one who offered himself in our place on the cross. But you go to John chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. And then you see in verse number 3 that all things that were made were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. And so I understand, good Bible students, you go all the way back to the beginning, of course. We're talking about the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. But you understand from John 1 and verse 3 and Colossians chapter 1 and other places, you understand that Jesus appears to be the agent by which everything was made. Genesis chapter 1, Jesus is there, isn't he? He speaks and things are created. Nothing was made without him that was made. And so then you fast forward in time and you get to the point where Jesus comes and is born of a virgin. Gen uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4. But in the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a virgin, born under the law. What's he doing between Genesis 1 and Matthew chapter 1? What's Jesus doing? I suppose there are some who think, I don't, or maybe you question, I don't know. Is he there? Or what is, you're not questioning if he's there, but you're questioning what is he doing? What is his role in this time? And what I'm suggesting tonight as we study the Old Testament, we see the second person of the Godhead at work. That he is active. That he has always been active. And he will continue to be active. And that's what we find even in the Old Testament. Now, let's do some more studying specifically on this angel. And what I want to prove tonight from, you, from the scriptures is in fact that the angel of God, when the Bible uses that term or the angel of the Lord that we are dealing not with a, a heavenly messenger as we think of angel, as one who is created by God. Uh, you think Gabriel, you, you think other angels that are sent on these special missions to deliver a message to God or to God's people. Uh, this is not that. What we're dealing with is the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Jehovah. What we find is this angel is deity. This angel is not a created being. This angel is God. Now, how do we know that? We study the Bible. We study various contexts. Now, tonight, we're going to do some reading. I hope you brought your Bibles. Turning them to Genesis chapter 16. I'm not questioning your knowledge of this, but maybe some of your friends will have questions about this or... Maybe you can help somebody with this kind of study. 
But in Genesis chapter 16, this is what the Bible has to say. Now in context, what we're dealing with, uh, Abraham thinks that, uh, and Sarah, they, they think they should have had a child by now. And Sarah's looking at herself in the mirror and she's saying, husband of mine, there's simply no way. I don't know how I'm ever going to conceive. I don't know how I'm ever going to have a baby. I'm simply too old. Maybe what we should do is you should take Hagar, my handmaid, and you should go in and lie with her and have a child through her. And Abraham does this. I still kind of shake my head at it, but he does this. How do you think this is going to turn out? Not good. It never was going to turn out good. And it doesn't. And so Hagar, or Abraham goes into Hagar, and she conceives. And after she conceives and she found out to be pregnant, now Sarah despises her. And now Hagar is fleeing from Sarah. And after fleeing, the Bible says in verse number 6, uh, at the end of verse number 6, Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her presence. In verse number 7, Now the, underline it, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, catch it, I, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they should not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Laharoi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Berid. She called it Beer Laharoi. Literally, the well of the Lord who sees me. Hagar recognized that this was not just some other messenger. But this was the angel of the Lord. And what I'm saying tonight is to see the angel of the Lord is to see deity. Hagar recognized deity was standing in her presence. You are the God who sees. That's what she recognized him as. I think that's important for us to recognize. And also I emphasized in verse number 10, the angel of the Lord says, I will multiply your descendants after you. Well, here's a familiar context in Exodus chapter 3. Again, you've given this thought. You know about this burning bush. You know that there's a voice that is speaking out of the burning bush, but have you connected it with the angel of God? This is what the Bible says. In verse number 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush, so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God, underline it, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is 
holy ground. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds exactly like what we just read from Joshua, right? Sounds exactly like what the commander of the Lord's army had to say. Take the sandals off your feet. The place where you stand is holy ground. But who is speaking in Exodus chapter 3? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, and he calls himself God. To see the angel of the Lord was to see God. And that's exactly what we find. Well, we go to Judges chapter 6. In context, as Brian read for us a moment ago, we've got the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord has appeared there to Gideon. Now, again, I'm not going to read all of this, but it is fascinating to me. The more that I study this, uh, the more exciting it becomes because we are dealing with the second person of the Godhead. Jesus didn't just create and then take a nap and wake up when it was time for Him to come. Hebrews chapter 10, just waiting on a body. Jesus is active. Jesus is alive. Jesus has a lot to do with folks. He has a lot to do with our salvation, even through the Old Testament. All of this is pointing to His coming. And so in Judges chapter 6, this is what we find in verse number 17. To the angel of the Lord, Gideon says... If now I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I'll wait till you come back. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in the pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree, and he presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff. Can you imagine this? He put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. He touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. Now, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon again recognized the deity that he was in front of. He was afraid he was going to die because he had been in the presence of deity. To see the angel of the Lord was to see deity. All right, how many more places do we need to look? I'm not even going to turn to Numbers chapter 22. I just want you to write it down if you're taking notes. And you recall, uh, young people, don't you love it? This is where uh, the donkey talks to Balaam. And you recall that the donkey stopped and Balaam kept kicking the donkey and, and he couldn't see what the donkey was seeing. But you recall who the, who the donkey was seeing? He was seeing the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was standing in front of the donkey. Balaam couldn't see him, but the donkey could. Eventually, Balaam's eyes are opened, and again, he recognizes that he is in the presence of deity. Stop kicking that donkey. That donkey has saved your life. If that donkey hadn't stopped, I would have killed you. The angel of the Lord says. He makes himself out to be deity. And so it is true that to see the angel was to see God. I believe these contexts bear that out very clearly for us. To hear the angel of the Lord was also to hear deity. Just a couple of contexts for us to consider for just a moment. Look at Genesis chapter 22. 
In Genesis chapter 22, I want you to notice with me what the Bible has to say, beginning in verse number 18. Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 22, rather, let's back up to verse number 10. Again, very familiar context, right? If I were to ask you tonight, Genesis chapter 22, what are we dealing with? You would say we are dealing with Abraham being asked by God to offer his only son, Isaac. And you would be right. That's what we're dealing with. And so God has told Abraham to offer his only son. And in verse number 10, what we find is that Abraham has the knife in the air and he's getting ready to come forward and to slay his son just as God has told him to. However, there is a voice that is heard that tells him to stop. Whose voice is it? The Bible says in verse number 10, Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son, but... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The angel of the Lord is talking. You've not withheld him from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Catch it. Verse number 15. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven, and he said, Catch it. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. The angel makes himself out to be God. Deity. Abraham heard the second person of God. That's who's calling out to him. And to hear this angel was to hear God. One more on this point very quickly. In Genesis chapter 31, we go just a little further. Here, Jacob has uh, pulled his wives, Leah and Rachel, to the side. And he's in essence telling them, it's time for us to go. We're going to leave your father's home. And we're going to go and establish our own in another place. But he tells them why they are about to do this in Genesis chapter 31 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Catch it? I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you make a vow to me. Arise, get out of this land, and return to the land and to your family. The angel of the Lord calls himself what? God. I am the God of Bethel. He, he ascribes deity to himself. To see this angel of the God was to see deity. To hear the voice of the angel of God was to hear God, was to hear 
deity. Now, what makes this one also very, very special? No other angel is going to do this. The angel of God will accept worship. Now, in my mind, I go to the end of the Bible. I go to Revelation chapter 22. And I am reminded that in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, that John is ready to bow himself. In fact, he does bow himself as if to worship an angel from heaven. And what does the angel do when John bows himself to worship him? The angel grabs him as it were, as it was, and, and stood him up and said, Do not worship me. Worship God. Revelation 22 and verse 9. Worship God. Angels don't accept worship. They never do in the Bible. Created beings, they're not worthy of worship. You and I, we are not worthy of worship. These heavenly messengers are simply not worthy of worship. There is one who is worthy of worship, and that is God. Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10. You recall that it is there that the devil has asked, uh, asked Jesus to bow down and worship him, and Jesus says, uh-uh, not going to happen. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus is unwilling to bow down to anybody who is not God. Angels are not willing to accept worship, understanding they are not God. And this morning in Bible class, we were talking in passing at Acts chapter 12. Remember Herod, he wanted to accept worship. And how did that work out for Herod? He was eaten by worms. You see, we're not worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of worship. And so when the angel of God... Uh, accepts worship, he is one of two things. He is either God or he's a blasphemer. But those are the only two choices. Does he accept worship? Well, open your Bibles again to the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 13, I want you to notice what happens. All of these contexts that deal with the angel of God. Did you remember all of this? I'm sure some of you did. In Judges chapter 13... We find the angel of God again. In Judges 13, it's a very interesting context because the, the angel of God first appears to the mother of Samson. Now, basically delivers the message that you're going to, be, to have a son and he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. And then he goes away. And so she goes and tells her husband and, uh, and, and he begs for the angel of God to come back. Tell me what you told her. And so notice what takes place. In Judges 13 and verse number 11, So Manoah, the man who would be Samson's father, Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, you and, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that, we, that, that when your words come to pass we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is 
wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and he, the Lord, did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Notice what they say. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as, the, uh, as these at this time. They offered an offering to the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord accepted it. The angel of the Lord did not turn it down. The angel of the Lord is God. He is deity. He is the second person of the Godhead. To see Him was to see God. To hear Him was to hear God. To worship Him was to worship God. And so what's the only conclusion we can reach? He is God. He is God. He has to be God. A very strong case is made that the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, is in fact Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. I don't know why that would surprise us. It shouldn't. To know that Jesus was active in the Old Testament. Paul alludes to this even in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4, where speaking of the Israelites, he said they all drank from that spiritual rock, and that spiritual rock was Christ. Okay, so Jesus is there. He is with them. He has always been concerned about us. He will always be concerned about us. And I think it's just wonderful for us to study from the Old Testament and recognize that Jesus is active. Why? Because Jesus is always going to be about the salvation of mankind. That's what He's always going to be about. And I think as you look at this context and, and you look at, at all of this going through the Old Testament and, of course, into the New, we see what He did offering Himself in our place in order that we can be forgiven of our sins. It just should not surprise us that Jesus has always been about the work of bringing about our salvation. It's a rich study. It's a rich study to think more and more about Jesus. But I think, again, no study is complete without studying Jesus, even in the pages of the Old Testament. Thank you for listening tonight. I appreciate you uh, being interested in, in these spiritual things and being here to assemble in worship. Tonight, I want you to think about Jesus and, again, what He has done to offer you salvation. Tonight, if you find yourself outside of Jesus, then something in you needs to change. You can change that state even here tonight. If you are not a child of God... Jesus has done everything He can do in order to bring about your salvation, but He desires you to be saved. Tonight, will you come to Him, believing Him to be the Son of God, ready to make that confession, to repent of sin in your life, to be immersed in the waters of baptism, to have your sins washed in His precious blood. Tonight, you can leave here right with God.
we're begging you, if you're not, to come forward. As a child of God tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, it is extended to you as well. If we can help you in any way, come now while together we stand and while we sing.